Hello and welcome to the Literature Podcast, A Novel Review. My name is Seamus, your host, and together we will discuss, dissect, and explore the wonderful world of literature, and the wonderful world of literature is a vast and dense jungle, so let's start making our way through, one book at a time. Hello, good day, and welcome to the beginning of another episode of A Novel Review, a podcast exploring the wonderful world of literature. My name is Seamus and I am your host, and for today's episode, a bit of coming of age amongst an eclectic family. Yes, that's right, today I will be diving into the novel by Barbara Trapedo, brother of a more famous Jack. But before I jump into this book, I always take a moment to reflect on any mantelpiece moments, something to highlight from the week past. Today, I have for you another little diary entry, which, you know, sorry for this, although I'm not sorry because it's my podcast, so I will do whatever I want, but I think we need a little bit of background information before I actually launch into the piece, because I was in a conservatory the other day, which, if someone does not know this, picture this, a greenhouse, and when I say a greenhouse, I mean that garden shed-like construction used to grow seedlings by using the method of trapping heat and making it really, really humid, a really hot room for the plants. Now imagine that the English thought it would be a good idea to change the name to conservatory and attach these designs to every house in England or thereabouts. Well, that's what a conservatory is. It's essentially a greenhouse for humans, only just warm enough in winter if the sun is out and cooking in the summertime. And because it's a closed off space, no breeze. So anyways, I was in a conservatory and this particular time it just happened to be just right. The Goldilocks hour, as some might say. And yeah, so this conservatory, there were a litany of plants and flowers all flourishing. Kel surprise, because it's meant for plants, not humans. And also within this space, there was a bee. So this is what I penned down on this particular day. There is a bee in the conservatory, flittering around in sharp, hovering moments. I watch him for a time. I am unsure if he longs for the outside world where there are flowers aplenty, and grass and trees and anything he could wish for, or if he has found peace in here, visiting the flowers each day within the conservatory like old friends, free from the competition. It's like having a pet bee, if there ever could be such a thing. And I called this one there's a bee in the conservatory. So I don't know, it, it, it kind of seemed like there was an inkling of a children's story in there somewhere, the bee in the conservatory. So that was my little moment of inspiration from that particular day. Housekeeping, as always, all the scripts from the episodes are available on my website, just in case you know of anyone who has a hearing impediment who might get a kick out of a written version of the pod. So head along, they're all free for use for all to enjoy. Okay, let's dive into today's book, Brother of a More Famous Jack. This was Barbara Trapedo's debut novel, which kind of makes me hate her just a little bit because this book is, uh, well, it's it's really, really lovely. From its easy writing style to its flowing story, touching upon some of the heights of humanity to some of the lows, this novel just seemed to sort of breeze through them. With this, which is ironic because it's actually quite a messy maelstrom of a book in terms of characters, thoughts, events, and situations. Now, let me let's just be clear for a second. I don't mean messy in a negative way. It's it's not unclean. But what I mean is, and maybe this is where I'll start for an overview of the story. 
It's a book about a young 18-year-old girl being welcomed into the house of a bohemian-style family. Each member of this family is individualistic, loud, opinionated, and verbose. And that's one of the highlights of the novel. It is told in first person, and the wonderful hecticness that happens on the on these pages makes you feel as the reader, like Catherine, the 18-year-old girl, experiencing this family. Along the way, Catherine falls in love with the eldest son before eventual heartbreak, escaping to Italy where she dates a right-wing, opinionated Italian man, bears his child before its death, and then, in the throes of despair, returns home to England where she starts to date the second son of the Goldman family. So, wow, there's an overview. A lot of people think this book is whimsical and kind of breezy and fun, and look, it, it, it is in a way, but it, it's a book that is compared to Brideshead Revisited, for anyone that's read that, for the ways that it addresses similar ideals of growth and decline, especially surrounding a family. But this is always said to be sort of the upbeat version. It's hard because, yes, it is in that Brideshead is actually quite a dark novel, but so is this. I think the comic relief of the Goldmans provides this almost palate cleanser to the rest of the darkness surrounding this novel because they are a family of flaws, but, but they're just so charming and eccentric. You want to be around them. Here's an example of the eccentricity to kick us off. This is a conversation between Catherine and the matriarch of the family, Jane. I find her wonderfully gossipy and conspiring. We are drawn together into an intimacy not only by the melodrama in the onion patch, not only by the melodrama by a happy accidental affinity of mind, but because I believe that I answer a need. As women do, she has sacrificed distant female friendships on the altar of a contented marriage. She has been assimilated into her husband's tribe of male academics, male bohemians, male politicos, and predominantly male children. She makes rapid commitments with the local clarity of hallucination. She tells at once that she jacked in Oxford after knowing Jacob for three days and went to live with him instead. He was much more fun, and all that sex, Catherine, was so unexpectedly jolly, she says in her headmistressy voice. I mean, as you can see, to be that forward with sex, especially since Catherine is the student of this man, and also that she is quite young at this stage, just highlights the boisterous, sort of unashamed nature of the family, which is a fun thing to be exposed to. And it's also a great thing to be speaking to a strong woman in a man's world and hear how forward you can be. So now it's it's tagged as this coming-of-age novel, and I think that's pretty accurate as a general summation. But I think what's wonderful is it's not coming-of-age over a six-month period kind of story. It actually covers a period of 12 years and three major love affairs, which I think is one of the novel's strengths because it treats this idea of coming-of-age as a slow process. I feel like a lot of books and movies have us thinking that coming-of-age is like one big thing that happens to us around the age of 18 to 20, and then that's it, you're just fully formed. But that's not the case, and what I loved about this novel was that there is an ending, and yet you know it's not the end. You could say there is a clear, definable beginning when Catherine is introduced to the Goldman. Sure, that's fine. But in terms of ending, not in the same way. This is just a snapshot of life, and that is one of the real strengths of the novel, is that the characters are fully formed on the page and believable. They are different and individual and have their own ideas. Here's this sort of wonderful quote that takes place between Catherine and Jonathan, which is the, uh, the younger of the two, who she eventually ends up with. Catherine says, I think I'll just stay and listen to the music, I say. I think catching fish is cruel, actually. Jonathan throws a look at me of impatient contempt. Spare a tear for the bait, he says, as he takes his leave. 
So as you can hear from this quote, there's this wonderful awareness for the, for the world. It's that healthy sense of being aware of your actions and what that means in context of the larger world. It's these kind of brilliant, sharp moments of awareness that highlight the difference between the characters and just add that layer of depth to the story with the differing characters that really makes this novel charming and allows the text to have this sort of identity. And it's also the developing identity that really rounds out this story. Throughout the novel, I didn't grow to particularly like Catherine in a sense, but I did grow to understand her, which is such a vital part of growing up. And speaking of identity, what better identifier is there than the title? <laughs> How's that for a segue? It's, it's, it's an odd one, but there is this kind of comicalness to it. The title comes from a joke about William Butler Yeats, who is the brother of the more famous Jack. And I'll be honest, I had to look it up to see if I was getting the joke, but I think it is just the fact that W.B. Yeats is more famous, but not to the Goldmans. It, in essence, is an incredibly simple joke, but I think the true humour comes from the fact that, one, the entire family gets sent into fits of giggles over it, and two, they all understand the joke, therefore having the knowledge of both Yeats brothers. And... Also, just a side note, if you're thinking, oh, I've never heard of Jack Butler Yeats. He was a wonderful modernist and expressionist painter, so go check him out if that sort of tickles your fancy, because he had some, had some good stuff, yeah. Now, another thing I loved about this novel is the litany of literature references that are just like little pockets of inside jokes. He behaves like Heathcliff is one of them, and if anyone's read Wuthering Heights, you know exactly what the reference is, is sort of talking about, if... You know, because Heathcliff's a bummer. Uh, I digress, as always, when it comes to Heathcliff, because he was a bummer. But I, I, <laughs> I won't say any more. I won't spoil any more because there's nothing quite like coming across fun little, fun little references and Easter eggs in novels that you understand, because it, it just sort of connects you to the novel on a, on a on a more personal level. So it's a brilliant piece of literature. Go check it out if you're interested. What would I rate this novel? It's it's a great novel. It's very much unsung, and I think it's actually a much clearer example of what coming of age actually means. One read is probably enough, but it is still a must read, so I'm going to give it a 3.8 out of 5. Okay, okay, what am I reading today, me hearties? This week I am reading Treasure Island, and it's a bit of a nostalgic one for me. A bit of a seafaring adventure. Anyone that has read this will know what I'm talking about. The king of pirate literature. Anyone that hasn't read this, what are you doing? Honestly, what? Tell me, enlighten me, because this is such a wonderfully fun book to sail into. And then to cap it off, you have the Disney film Treasure Planet, which is my favourite by far. And it's it, it's this near-perfect retelling of Treasure Island with a sci-fi twist. Oh... Life is good sometimes. Life is very, very good. So that's what I'm reading this week and loving every minute of it. Now, before I close out the show, if you've listened this far, please consider hitting those five stars. I would really appreciate it. Also, feel free to head along to the website and support the pod. And of course, thank you, thank you, thank you for your attention. So I think it's time to end this episode, and today, to take us away, I think since today's novel was compared to Evelyn Waugh's Brideshead Revisited, a bit of a quote from that to round out this episode, and it goes, Perhaps all our loves are merely hints and symbols, vagabond language scrawled on gateposts and paving stones along the weary road that others have tramped before us. 
Perhaps you and I are types and this sadness which sometimes falls between us springs from disappointment in our search. Each street raining through and beyond the other snatching a glimpse now and then and the shadow which turns the corner always a pace or two ahead of us. 